ब्रह्मा गुरुर्विष्णु गुरुदेव महेश्वर गुरु ब्रह्मा तस्मै श्री गुरवे नमः I bow to my Guru as Brahma, as Shiva, as Vishnu. I bow to him in you. This saying that I'm reading today is a, a very interesting one in uh, several ways. Basically, it's this, that we talked last time about the uh, influence of science on religion, that it asks the question, does it work? It has taught religion to ask that question. This is why yoga is becoming popular in the West, because it doesn't just depend on dogma and bigotry and, and uh, beliefs, but it says you must develop faith by experience. And yoga gives you the techniques to help make that experience real. But in the influence of modern science, people have begun to make religion. You see, there are always pitfalls, but in this case, people have tended to draw religion down to a level which is fine, no, nothing wrong with it, but it takes it out of the high purpose of religion. And so, in this saying, many people of new thought persuasion place exaggerated emphasis on manifesting health, wealth, and other symptoms of material success, which they see as outward demonstrations of high spiritual development. The master's attitude toward these things was qualified. On the one hand, he considered that seeking such things for themselves could demand more energy than they are worth, like devoting the wealth of a nation to preventing snow from falling in the mountains in January. For the devotee of God it is, he felt, a waste of energy to strive too assiduously for outer perfection, which is ever and cannot but be evanescent. He counseled people, do what you can within reason to remain healthy and to achieve the worldly success you need. But remember, it is better to rise above outer conditions altogether so that they cannot affect you. He accepted that since people live on many different levels of awareness, no one teaching in this respect can or even should be applied to everyone. Illness, he said, can be a serious obstacle on the spiritual path. So also can poverty. Do your best, again he continued within reason, to achieve health and prosperity and to succeed at whatever you set your mind to do. On the other hand, keep those efforts proportionate to the true long-range goal of life, which is to find God. To devote all your energy to fulfilling your material desires, as so many people do even in the name of spirituality, distorts their values, for it deprives them of the time they need for more important things. He never accepted any material blessing as proof of inner development. Yet it can be an indication of such development. We should be grateful to God for them, for he said, for, but we should be equally grateful to him if he removed them. For it is not material things that should command our gratitude. 
we should be grateful for, nay, exult in life itself in its many costumes, remembering always that one of those costumes is death. We are the immortal offspring of infinite bliss. In bliss lies our true reason for eternal gratitude. Some of the Master's most spiritually advanced disciples were highly successful businessmen. The ability to succeed at anything is an aid in life, certainly not a liability. The question is only one of proportion. We should give our energy where it is needed first. Many saints, he pointed out, have had serious illnesses. Many others have lived in poverty. The test of spirituality is one's inner state of consciousness and, above all, the purity of one's love for God. The test of one's spiritual refinement, moreover, is his degree of freedom from ego-consciousness. He once related the following story. There was a saint who fell ill. His disciples pleaded with him, Master, so many have been healed by your intercession. Why don't you pray to the Divine Mother to heal you, too? This seemed to him not a bad idea. He accepted their suggestion. When he prayed, the Divine Mother appeared to him. Of all things, she rebuked him. You who have realized your oneness with the infinite and who have so many bodies you live through want now by praying for this one little form to limit yourself to it? For shame. The saint deeply regretted his error and prayed, Mother, your love alone is all-sufficient. So remember, there are different levels of application of truth depending on two people's different levels of understanding, of realization. Somebody who is really uh, in body consciousness a little bit of pain can become quite a serious obstacle to him, and so the gurus will be very gracious in trying to help heal them. And they say, too, that we should take care of our bodies and and uh, not, not uh, just be indifferent to them, because starving, suffering physically, all these different physical aches and pains. You'll notice just one little example. When you go to the ashrams, of India, at least this has been my experience, you don't see many people from the more, uh, let's call them, without uh, proper dignity, the lower classes. Usually you see middle class people or upper class people, people who have had the opportunity, in other words, to get their material wants out of the way, and uh, then they can give their minds to God. That's why in the Bhagavad Gita it speaks of the that fallen yogi uh, who doesn't reach that state by the end of his life, his, uh, if he dies, he may have even left his path for a while, but if he dies wanting God again, then he will enjoy the astral world for a longer or shorter time, depending on his good karma. Then when he's reborn, Krishna says that he's born into a family of yogis, or because yogis are not so often um, willing to accept children and family responsibilities. So at least he will be born into a, a well-to-do home where he can satisfy his desires more quickly and, as a result, come back to the path. 
So mind you, satisfying your desires in itself needn't be bad. But once you've got the desire for God, and once there's even the possibility of developing such a desire, then remember that God is the highest thing. And the more spiritually developed you become, the more it become, it behooves you to ignore the uh, physical difficulties and uh, just put your will to seeking God and even to discipline your body. Our guru taught us to discipline your body, discipline your will. I, I For example, when I, I go to a, de- a dentist, I always try to follow his advice in that. One time, oh, about a couple of years ago, I broke off this tooth just completely at the root, and I went to the dentist, and he said, well, we'll have to, you'll have to come back to, for four visits to get this fixed. First, I'll have to uh, give you anesthesia and then drill a hole there, and then I have to put a post in there because there's not enough there to hold any tooth. I've got to put a post in. I've got to kill the nerve, and so on. He talked. I said, listen, I don't want all that. Don't give the anesthesia. Just go ahead and uh, do it today. Well, I don't know, but I suspect that he thought, oh, yeah, I think he wanted to teach me a lesson because he seemed to me was a little bit unnecessarily rough, but I just lay there and took it. I, you know, I just lie back and, and uh, don't think about it. I compose music in my head or I watch my breath uh, as I've been taught in meditation or uh, in this case, the pain, of course, was somewhat severe. And so I simply said, but look, it's only a few minutes, and my life is a long life, and I've had many experiences, so let's go through this. This too shall pass. So anyway, he drilled up there, and he cut the nerve, and he held this nerve up to a couple of my friends, showed it dangling like a little string on the end of his little pincers. But it didn't bother me. I know that he was sweating, and the nurse just, her eyes were bulging out of her forehead, but it didn't bother me, and I got it done in an hour or whatever it took. Well, you know, this is good training for the will. It's, you, you don't have to, every time you get a little pain, feel like you've got to go and do something to kill the pain, take a painkiller, take a uh, uh, whatever it is, an aspirin or something. Learn to be a little tough on yourself, because in that, you gradually can rise above the body and claim your higher birthright. And then if things don't go well, you know, you can make fun of it. There was a period in my life when I really didn't have any money to speak of. I, I made a great game out of it. I saw how cheaply I could live. I found that I was able to live in America on $10 a month. Now, I don't know how it is here in India. I think there are people who earn less than that. But in America, that was a very little money that I learned. I learned to make chapatis instead of bread. I made dal, which is a very good high protein, and it lasted a long time. I would make a dessert, and just uh, one teaspoon of the sweetness was quite enough, so I'd make that dessert last for a whole week. Um, I managed to train my palate to have powdered milk instead of regular milk, and uh, oatmeal was very cheap, so I had that for cereal, and it was... uh, uh, I actually had fun. I must admit, I lost a little weight. But uh, when you face trials in life, when you face deprivation, when you find that you can't do this, or make fun out of it. It's, it's 
It's a game. This life is all a play anyway. And so the ups and downs, it's a very good training to teacher endurance. Just let it be. Be even-minded and cheerful at all times. So that whatever, as my Guruji used to say, what comes of itself, let it come. Well, a senior a sister disciple of mine said, well, the good things anyway. No, not the good things. The bad also. Let them come. You will find that in that, God will never give you more than you can bear. And even if it were to pass that you die, well, what of it? Like that amazing story in the autobiography of a yogi where um, when Yoganandaji was a young boy, young, young man, he went to this Mahamandal Hermitage in Benares, and the Swami there was rather an austere fellow. And uh, the custom was not to eat until he had eaten. Well, he had been away for a few days, and he came back, and then he wanted to meditate. And he didn't eat till late in the day, and my Guruji was getting more and more hungry. And finally he ate, and my Guruji said, well, um, Sir, what, what should I do if I'm, I'm uh, hungry, uh, if I die of hunger? And the Swami gave him this very drastic counsel. He said, die then. Die rather than admit that you don't, that you don't live by the power of God. Have that power of will to know that even if you must die, so what? It doesn't matter. But live by truth. Live by by uh, your principles, and be free in yourself so that always, no matter what happens, well, let it be. You know, when Mahatma Gandhi died, his last words were, Ram, Ram. He knew it would die that way. He had that insight. But what does it matter? A friend of mine, a brother disciple, whatever I used to say to him, he was a Bengali, whatever I used to say to him, he'd say, Guru, Guru. And somebody told me that he was in Germany not long ago, and they saw him levitating. But you know, this, this uh, thought, this God is in all, God is everything. But be true to your actual self. Be true to your actual state. So that don't think, well, because they did it, I can do it. You have to be aware that you may not have reached their state yet, and you may not have gained that. I remember once years ago, I was trying to practice Titiksha and endurance and so on. I was taking cold showers in the winter. I was a young man, 22, 23. And uh, in uh, the winter, it could be quite cold in Los Angeles. And I remember I reached the point where I just, I crossed over the barrier of actual endurance and I really had to admit I was cold. I was shivering. You know, it took me several months to get warm. If you push it too far, then uh, that's not common sense. Use your common sense. You will see, though, that if you do, that you can gradually become so strong. One time, my guru, well, you develop these things over a period of time, but it was icy cold off the coast of Massachusetts. Nobody dared even put his toe in the water, and my guru went into the water, and uh, Dr. Lewis, his uh, disciple of his, saw a great blue light around him, and later on, 
our guru came out and he said, well, I have to admit it was cold at first, but then I went into the spirit and it was, I felt no coldness then. Well, when you've reached that state, you can, like these Himalayan um, mountain climbers going up with all their heavy parkas and everything, and suddenly out of the mist below them there was this yogi with just a loincloth passing them, going on up and disappeared into the mist again. But what my guru has come to bring is a new life, a new tomorrow. We must learn, and this is, he, gave, he brought a new message to the world. We must learn to make this message real in our lives. We must make them dynamic to our consciousness. If we can live in that way, then we can change not just ourselves, we can change the world. Joy to you. When the dawn breaks and then the morning sends the sun high in the sky, who would hide from heaven's glory? Who would pass the challenge by? La 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 There's a morning for every nation when the sun's high in the sky. There's a time for every people to affirm their destiny. La 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 Even so all of us together can create a better land. Leave the post until tomorrow waits for all who understand. There's a morning for every nation when the sun's high in the sky. There's a time for every people to affirm their destiny. La 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 even so, all of us together can create a better land. Leave the past and new tomorrow, it's for all who understand. La 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 Leave the past, a new tomorrow, waits for all.